Hi, my name is John Kim, and I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth. I share my feelings and revelations. I believe in casual or clinical, and with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. She has been coaching for more than 25 years under different titles, pure educator, health educator, birth and postpartum doula. Oh, I didn't know that. That's amazing. Death doula, exceptional children aid, advocate, advocate and coach, speaking at seminars, teaching and creating and leading wellness retreats. So her background has helped her become especially skilled at uh, speaking and ready to be heard truth to her clients who are working on finding and honoring their superpowers. She is a parent to three children, including a set of twins, and usually found researching, writing, or playing in the trees in Appalachia. <laughs> Depends on who you ask. It's either Appalachia or Appalachia. Wow. What an amazing story. So Jennifer, do you go by Jennifer Jen? I just call you Jen Ready. That's usually, yeah, it's just usually Jen Ready. It's like all one word. And it sounds fake because um, the Ready, it's like, it sounds like a made up name, like like you're ready for the world, like generate. It, it sounds like an Instagram handle. It does. <laughs> it's actually my married name from when I was married a very, very long time ago mm. um, that I just never got rid of because at the time of the divorce, it just made more sense to keep it. Yeah. And now I've had it for so long that I thought about re, like turning into R-E-A-D-Y no, I love um, it. I mean, I, I think it works. Yeah, it works. Yeah, it works because it's real. It's not because you made it up. You know, if you made it up, then it wouldn't work. Um, so you have a really fascinating story. I want to start with how did you get involved with wellness? Like in your personal life, what attracted you to all of this? Um, I think, I mean, honestly, it started, I mean, probably high school. I remember, I mean, I went to this really, really, really super cool, progressive, like, all girls high school. Mm-hmm. And so we were allowed to take like all sorts of super cool classes. And I, the same like semester took like a psych class and, um, we started this like your health educator kind of group. Right. And the combo of the two just sort of blew my mind open. Um, and ever since then it's just been ongoing. What is it like going to an all girls high school? And I wonder if it's different between the all boys, but at that age, I mean, our hormones are bouncing off the walls. We're rebellious. Um, Is it, was it freeing or is it like, um, like a, like a prison? (laughs) Um, I loved it. I mean, I know there's a lot of, you know, you could have asked, you know, everyone I graduated with and of course gotten a whole bunch of different answers, but I thought it was really amazing. It took a lot of the pressure off, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, we would literally show up in sweats and it was just about being at school it wasn't I mean which I think is a downside is also like you get rid of some of that fun flirty stuff that happens and some of the fun hormones and the the note passing with you know whoever you have a crush on and all that other stuff um but for me it sort of separated the two you know it allowed me to sort of have my dating life be very separate from my school life and so I really enjoyed it yeah you're less distracted I'm sure so um, as a pure educator, what did you learn about yourself? Uh, you know, what, what, what was kind of the um, first domino experience for you where you're like, I think I want to I help people. And maybe you didn't know at the time how. 
Um, I think I definitely didn't know how. It was more really sort of getting introduced to group wellness. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, which was obviously not a term way back in the day. Um, the same way, but it, it was sort of the, my first introduction to these concepts of what it looks like when we all just talk with each other and we yeah. all share, you know, um, and we make safe space and we make it okay to tell our stories and we make it okay to support one another in that. Um, right. And I think that that was so formative. Like it, it just really changed my view. I mean, I don't you know, about therapy. I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles and, and, you know, like, and I knew about all those pieces, but I hadn't really sort of seen the perks to what happens when you just take a bunch of humans and you throw them in a room and you tell them it's okay to be them and let them talk. What part of Los Angeles did you grow up in? Uh, Mostly the San Fernando Valley. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And, and, and when did you start getting into being a doula birth and postpartum? That was a little bit later. That was, um, probably about my late twenties, I was kind of having like a, a, you know, I did that thing where I went off to college and, you know, got a real job and worked in a cube farm for a very cool tech startup. Um, but then the, you know, the dot-com bust happened and it wasn't something that I ever wanted to do. It was sort of one of those really cool jobs I fell into. Um, and so I spent a lot of time sitting around, you know, reading the want ads, trying to figure out what I wanted to be when I grew up kind of mm-hmm. a thing. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of, it was like the Sunday morning joke of like, you know, going through the classifieds of like, well, do you want to do this? No. Do you want to do this? No. Do you want to do right. this? No. Um, and then I was at a bookstore and literally in like one of those super cool kismet universe talks to you moments, this book literally fell off the shelf at Barnes and Noble. Wow. Um, Smacked you in the face. <laughs> I mean, pretty close, right. and I ducked in time, but and I picked it up, and it was a book about midwives, and mm. it actually wasn't about doulas, but it it I devoured it. I mean, it was like one of those like inhaled it in one sitting, and went Google searching everything, um, and found out what doulas were, and was instantaneously hooked. And I mean, was at my you know first training. I think like two weekends later and did that for years. Wow. And did you get married young? No, I was 28. Oh, okay. I got married at 29. So it's kind of young, depending on how you look at it. Okay. Yeah, I mean, so, it, is, it is pretty I mean, young, I think. It's not young, but it's not. Right. I mean, looking back now at 44, I would say, yes, that was, that was young. Yeah, of course. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's young for Los Angeles. 21. Yes, right. <laughs> it was young for Los Angeles. Um, three children and a set of twins. So, so, uh, you know, I have a 10 month old and, uh, the first six months I was in shock at how hard it was. And, you know, all the stories that you hear, I used to think like, oh, they're just parents, you know, whining and blah, blah, blah. Um, and it's actually harder than I thought it was. How did you do this with twins? Um, fortunately my son came first. Um, oh, okay. And I had, you know, and like, and I had been a birth and postpartum doula for years, and right. I, um, you know, so I knew the sort of the fundamentals of like how to take care of a, of a young child, and I knew all the developmental pieces of it, and and you know what was, you know, how to do it. Um, I didn't, 
I think sort of like you and probably like every other parent on the planet, I didn't understand. I think you can't understand until you live it. What having this, this other human who requires your attention, like so much yeah. and, and literally they die if you don't give it to them. Um, yeah. Come hundred percent dependent like, on you. Yeah. And it matters like whether or not you show up really, really matters. You don't get an off day. You don't, you know, it just doesn't work that way. Um, so I think, you know, by the time he was three and my twins came, um, you know, their father and I kind of sat down and had the like, okay, this time we, we've got to do different because it's going to be like all hands on deck. Mm. And, um, and it was, and I want to say like the first six months definitely kicked my ass. People would stop me in stores and stuff and ask me if I was okay. And I, I didn't really understand why. Mm-hmm. And then I saw a mom, you know, once my girls were a little older, who had little ones and she looked like she'd just been hit by a truck. I mean, and she was fine. And I mean, she looked like hell. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, that's why complete strangers were asking me if I was okay. Cause I looked like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and no, then they no got sleep. to be like six, seven months old. Yeah. And then they could like sit up on their own and they could like talk right. to each other and they right. could like hang out together. And honestly, John, it's, I mean, I don't want to say it's easier to have twins than singletons, but I'm going to go with like, no, from a, how on you have to be as a parent, like when they've got another child to play with who is their same developmental age, mm. it's such a game changer. It was actually so much easier from that point on. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I see. I see what, so I see what you're saying. So um, instead of uh, one her uh, one kid just being by by him or herself and, and attending uh, to that kid constantly, they actually have each other to kind of um, play with. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they would, they would like fight over stuff and they would play with yeah. stuff and they would crack each other up and like, I could leave the room and it was okay. They didn't miss me. And my, my son, I had never, um, I didn't have that the same way. Yeah. You know, what just happened, uh, seconds before, um, I got on, on, on this uh, recording with you. Um, so my daughter is 11 months old and I was holding her and she was slapping me in the face. Right. And she doesn't know how hard she's slapping me, but she's, she started slapping me really hard. And my, and I yelled like, you know, stop or, you know, my instinct was to yell to tell her to knock it off. Um, and my partner, Vanessa, said, OK, what you do is you just tell her um, one word like gentle and then you take her hand and show her how you want her to touch your face. And I did that like three times and and it was like magic where she started to caress my face instead of smack it. And the revelation I had there was uh, if I hadn't like gone through my own therapy and even um you know had the patience to ask someone for help or how do you do this if i was you know 22 or if i was just you know the old me it would have just been me screaming at her yeah which i think happens all the time because we don't know and i mean it is hard right i mean you, you you just came out of that experience right when this like being is smacking you in the face like unless you know how to not react i mean everything in us is, is, I mean, I think between instinct and training, like, of course we want to react. We want that mm-hmm. to stop. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a hard thing to remember that I think, you know, like the constant reminder of they don't know and they are so much wiser than we know is right. it's a hard one to walk sometimes. 
Definitely um, huge catalyst in life uh, to teach you things like patience. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. Um, kids, you're 28. Um, you have studied birth and postpartum. Now, as you turn the corner to uh, into your 30s, as a mother, um, what are you doing? And what is uh, driving you? What are you passionate about? Um, well, I actually took off. So I stopped dueling uh, when I had my kiddos for a mm-hmm. few years. And um, and then my family, we moved uh, to Asheville uh, when my girls were just about two. So like 11 years ago now. And um, and I, I, you know, I hadn't worked in a few years. And then there was a divorce. And so, you know, within a couple of quick years, it was like my, I mean, within like five years, my life changed so many times. Yeah. Um, and I went back into birth work for a little while and did birth and postpartum work again here. And that was really lovely. And it it was such a different culture and it was really interesting seeing, um, how like working in two very different cultures with two very different belief systems. Um, but interestingly enough, that's also when I then started transitioning into death work, which, Mm -hmm. um, had sort of been an accident, you know, I mean, I think sort of in that way that life wanders us around, um, you know, an old client of an old business partner of mine had reached out and, you know, my name got passed around and I, I talked to them and it was just sort of one of those things. And then I ended up, um, working with this older gentleman and and his family. And it was so incredibly beautiful because it is in so many ways, so many of the same conversations about belief systems and about the magic of life and death and about what we want to do different and what we want to aspire towards and, and what we're hoping for and what we know might happen anyway. And like all, I mean, it, obviously there's different details, but so many of the pieces are the same. So for um, people that don't know, what exactly is death work? Um, in this case, it was sitting with people who knew they were dying. Um, it's, it's being a death doula is sort of like the same way being a regular, like a birth doula is you attend births, but you're not in charge of the medical stuff. So it's not mm-hmm. like being a midwife or a doctor, but you do all the, or a lot of the educational and the social, emotional and the handholding and the resource finding and that kind of thing. Um, death doula work is very similar in that, that it's not like a hospice nurse where we're taking vitals and administering meds, but it's, it's, to me, it's, it's actually a lot more fun in that, um, no, there's a lot of conversations about beliefs and a lot of processing of what's going on, um, with the people who are dying and the families around them. It's interesting to me that you, uh, um, worked with birth and then you worked with death. It's like you, you, you went from one, you know, the, the beginning of life to the end of life, like the whole spectrum of life. It's interesting how like, actually, I mean, for a long time I, I worked, I, I'd say like primarily with birth and death. And I used to joke that I was really great at sitting at the gates of those two things. Mm-hmm. And I had really no idea what to do with what was in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, that wasn't completely true, but in terms of work, it sort of was. And it, they're very, I mean, again, they're very similar, you know, right. in, in this very strange way that we don't like to think of in this culture. And we're so, you know, we, we, we sell the, the, 
the birth brochure, you know, and the happy Gerber baby and all that stuff, and yeah. the cute pink booties and whatever. Um, and we're also like absolutely terrified of dying. And yet being in the room with people being born and being in the room with people dying, it's, oh my God, the energy is so much the same. Mm. And it's, it's really sweet. Um, speaking of what's in the middle. So these days you do work with what's in the middle, right? I do. Yeah. And so tell now us. Now I do the, only what's in the middle. <laughs> yeah. And t- so tell us the, uh, the classes you teach in the lab. Um, and, and let's talk about okay. that and what they're about. So in the lab, I teach the two classes with like the wordiest titles possible. Yeah. Um, because I'm completely incapable of being succinct to save my, like, I just can't do it. Um, and so one is what I've nicknamed as the growing class. And that's a Saturday class that we talk about everything. And it's really like the art of being human in the kindest way possible. Mm. So we talk about everything. I mean, like right now we're doing a book club on Don Miguel's Mastery of Love. Mm-hmm. Um, before that, we did the Four Agreements. I'm trying to convince everyone that what we really need to go into next is The Body is Not an Apology mm. um, by Sonja, Son, Sonia Renee Taylor, which is an incredible book. Um, but also we talk about like shame and we talk about boundaries and we talk about forgiveness and we talk about what to do when you fuck up because we're all human and we all fuck up. I mean, the best of intentions and the best, um, you know, like all those things about like the best laid plans and all that other stuff. And then we find ourselves running into a wall or hurting people or watching our lives crash around us. Um, and I think that's where so much of the magic of life is, but that's also, I mean, that's, that's so hard and we beat up on ourselves so much in those moments. Um, and so that's what we talk about in that one is just all sorts of topics that relate to just the, the art of being human. Why do you um, gravitate toward the word kindness? I love um, that you said we, we talk about being the, the, the kindest human that, that you can be. What is it about that word that you gravitate toward? I think for me, it's, it, for me it was a, a huge pivotal moment in my life when I realized that I could grow without like shame and self-flagellation when Mm -hmm. I realized that seeing my own journey um, with love and compassion um, and seeing the journeys around me of the other people around me with love and compassion, it, for me, it was really game changing. Um, I think especially since at that time, you know, my life was kind of swirling around the toilet and you know, I was definitely in some really, really dark spaces and, you know, all the people around me were in some really dark spaces and it was just sort of one of those really hard times in life and realizing that it didn't, that things could be hard and we could still be kind, um, you know, primarily to ourselves and then that extends out to everyone else. But I think we live in a world that's trained us, you know, that Shame, shame gets passed on, right? We shame each other. We, we, the people around us who harmed us, um, you know, they pass their shame on when we're children. And I think we, we often ingest that and then take it on as our own without realizing that we don't have to. It, it doesn't have to be that way, that there are options and we can see ourselves as toddlers learning to walk and that falling down is super acceptable part of being alive. Yeah. Rather than beating ourselves up for 
not getting everything right on the first try. Yeah. And when you said being kind uh, or, uh, you know, the, the, the kindest human as you can be, um, many might have been thinking about to others. And, and, and yes, that's true as well. But you mean specifically or, or first to yourself. And I think that's what makes um, your class super powerful. It's about being kind to yourself. And by doing so, that ripples outward and you will be you know, kinder to others just by default. You'll be a happier person. Yeah. 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 And I mean, isn't that, I mean, to me, I always look at it as like, I mean, I have my own personal belief systems on, you know, how the universe works and what's real and whatever. But I mean, I know there's, there's so many out there. And of course, none of us have any way of empirically choosing what, or knowing which one is right. And I look at it as whether this is, you know, my one and only like chance to ride this mud ball or whether, you know, this is one of millions. Um, is kind of irrelevant if there's no softness to it, if there mm. isn't any kindness, if there isn't any um, acceptance. Um, because to me, it comes down to either way, I, I want to get to enjoy it and not from a hedonistic point of view, but from a, um, a loving point of view. Yeah. So, you know, we're, we're, we're not taught in school. Um, we're also not taught usually by, by parents or environment growing up how to be kind to ourselves. What would you say um, are some steps to start practicing that? Because I believe it's a practice, right? It's not something that uh, you just oh, do over, over the weekend. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's basically a, for, the, for the rest of your life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think a huge part of it is shifting your mindset. I think we were all raised at a time, and I'm seeing it shift now more, and I'm really excited for the world that my children are being raised in and that your child is being raised in. I mean, there mm -hmm. are more of these conversations happening in schools. There are, um, there's more awareness. There are more adults doing more work trying to fix their stuff. And I think the trickle down of that is incredible. But I think, I mean, for all of us who were raised when we were raised um, by parents who were raised when they were raised, I mean, I think it starts with really shifting the narrative that just because we screw up doesn't mean we're bad people. Mm -hmm. um, and that just because somebody else screws up in a way that hurts us doesn't mean that they're bad people. Um, and I think just allowing sort of life to be an adventure and a roller coaster. And, you know, I, I draw a lot of parallels between, you know, life and theme parks that it's like, yeah, sometimes you want to ride the teacup. Sometimes you want to ride that scary roller coaster. Sometimes you just want to sit down and have a churro. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, um, seeing it that way, as opposed to seeing it as um, this thing that we are supposed to get right, because there is no right, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think it took me a really long time to realize that there is no right way to do life. Um, it's a whole bunch of societally narrated crap we're fed. And so I think for me, the first step is sort of reframing that a little bit and allowing us to look at ourselves like children and we're learning and there's things we don't know and we're not gonna know until we try and we don't get it right the first time and that's okay yeah you know one of the things i talk about a lot is um the importance of liking yourself um above loving yourself and i think that mm -hmm. self-love has you know just because of wellness it's it's become kind of a t-shirt a bumper sticker and um love is a choice so you could love someone even if you don't like them 
But mm-hmm. to like someone is earned. And I think a lot mm-hmm. of people struggle with actually liking themselves. And, and that's a journey. Uh, it's something that I've, I've been on and continue, you know, to be on. But I think that's where it's really powerful. If you could, um, get to know yourself, sit with yourself and then actually start to like yourself. Um, so much changes from the inside out, you know, you treat yourself better. It really does. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think also it does begin to undo some of the shackles of some of all that other stuff, right? All the wounding Mm -hmm. and all the scars and all the programming. And I mean, I know for me, the first time someone asked me, I think I was like 30, 31. And this is a very sweet coach that I was seeing at the time. Um, you know, asked me to describe myself and, you know, using I am statements. And I came up with all these words, you know, I'm a mother and I am a this and I am a that and whatever. And she said, okay, no, no, that's not what I mean. <laughs> like none of that. <laughs> She's like, not what you do, not what roles in this society mm-hmm. do you play, but like, who are you? I mean, John, that took me like weeks. I still go back periodically and revisit that and, and really have to look at like, who am I and and how am I feeling about that? And does that line up with how I am acting in the world? Yeah, because And if not, what do I need to shift? So those two things are in alignment. We live in a world where um, we tie what we do, our ability to our worth. And so, um, you know, speaking of this whole idea of getting to like yourself, can you like yourself without... um, your ability or your gifts or your talent. I mean, I know that's a part of you, but we put so much weight on that. Uh, we don't get to know who we are because we're so focused on um, performance, the scoreboard, you know, whatever it is that we're doing, we're so focused on yeah. achievement, what we can do. And in a way that's a, that's a, becomes a shield. It becomes a wall where you don't get to know yourself because you're just trying to um, whatever it is, make more money or, you know, be an athlete or whatever, whatever hat that you have decided to wear, that becomes your identity. And then it gets very hard to like yourself. Well, and it sucks the joy out of everything. I mean, if all I, if, I mean, and I know for me, like every time I'm focused on, you know, how much I'm making or whether or not someone's going to approve or whether or not this person's going to like this decision I make or then it, I take it completely away from liking myself because now it's no longer a decision that I'm making based on who I am and what I want and what makes me happy and where I thrive outside of whether or not makes money or whether or not somebody else is going to approve of that or think it's a good idea. Yeah. And it, it, it totally sucks all the life out of everything. And I think it's, it's why, yeah, like I think you said it best, like learning to like yourself. I mean, it's so pivotal because I think everything else is easier from that place. Mm. You know, boundaries are easier when you know that you genuinely like yourself and this is what you want or right. this is what you believe or this is what you thrive on. Um, and, the- you know, we want to make the people we like happy, right? So that includes us. Yeah, it's lined with respect. You know, um, if you, yeah. you can be really great at something in this world, but if you don't respect yourself or like yourself, I mean, you're just a walking ability. You you don't have, um, if that ability is gone, you know, say, take, for example, an athlete who um, is exceptional at, at some kind of physical ability. Um, once that is over or they get hurt or you take that away, 
that they, they, they just collapse on themselves. Like there's no person there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And so it's a big thing. And I mean, I think, yeah. No, no, sorry, guys. I don't know. Go for it. Um, so this idea of liking yourself, um, you're saying, uh, and I, I love what you're saying, uh, which is, uh, to me, you're kind of saying toss blueprints, um, you know, don't live with shoulds, uh, life doesn't have to look a certain way, right? We create design our own life and, you know, get rid of the ticking clocks, um, all the stuff that is, uh, been, been programmed by society and, and parents and friends and, you know, today, social media, whatever, um, and try to live in a life that is honest to you. And I love that because, uh, for me, I used to live very outside in. I used to exchange my truth for membership, seek approval and validation. And, you know, mm -hmm. my idea of success was very predictable and what was um, kind of the commercial idea of success, um, money and, and uh, you know, big houses, fancy cars, all that. Um, and then after my divorce, uh, I, I kind of did what you're talking about. It's kind of tossed a blueprint. Um, and how can I design a life that felt honest to me? And it gave me so much direction, like completely repositioned my life. Yeah, I think it's one of the, I mean, I would not advocate for divorce, obviously. Um, it was a very horrible, hard time in my mm -hmm. life. And you, know, you and I have, you know, I, I talked enough that I, I know it was not super easy on you either. And I've never talked to anyone who did have a super easy, fun experience with it. Um, but I think one of the perks to watching your life in that way um, and all of the things that come from it, right? Because it's not just that relationship. It's also all the, the auxiliary relationships. It's, you know, housing arrangements, it's finances, it's, yeah. you know, kids and dogs and plants. And I mean, there's so many pieces. It's, it's our identity and our sense of self that gets thrown up in the air for question. And I think it can be this um, really great gut check um, and also like kind of a do-over, you know, to, to see from this sort of fresh, raw place, um, what we want to do now. And, and, and from this place of, we have the option to, um, really take that time to like dig inward and, and meet ourselves a little differently. Yeah. It's a complete do over and it's actually really rich soil. Um, and, mm -hmm. and, and you're right. I mean, any breakup, uh, or what I call an expired relationship, divorce, um, all of that is complicated and painful, you know, um, but as you go through it, um, if you start to uh, see that time as you connecting to you, liking yourself, building that relationship with yourself, all of that, then it becomes really rich soil. If you don't do that, but instead, you know, try to look uh, to lose yourself in someone else or um, stay in something that doesn't feel right to you or, or any of those things, then it's actually not soil. It's a, uh, it's going to uh, stunt your growth. Like you're creating your own prison. Right. And, but I mean, isn't that also that thing that we find, like we try that and then it doesn't work. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. It's not sustainable. I mean, no. And I mean, and then, you know, that, that hurts too. And we go back in and it's like, Oh, shit, I'm here again. And I, yeah. this wasn't what I wanted. I was like, I don't know. That's like what to me, like I call like hedonistic happiness and, I mean, God knows I had enough nights on the Sunset Strip that were super fun, but it's a different kind of um, of way 
it doesn't lead to the same kind of like, you know, like you talk about nectar, like it's not nectar. It's, it's like a yeah. fun flash in the pants kind of thrill. And I'm not in any way, shape or form docking that, but I think we often get distracted by that. And then, you know, wake up at some point in time and realize that, yeah, instead of using the fertile soil, um, we just got distracted in a different way. And then we find ourselves back at square one again. I mean, that, that is like, I think the beautiful part about life is like, you do keep coming back to the same stuff. And mm-hmm. if you don't get it right, then you get to go in and do it again. You know, <laughs> like life will keep finding you. Yeah. I think the difference between nectar and um, sugar is, you yes. know, uh, nectar uh, can be nourishing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so just dopamine, uh, just uh, uh, getting, you know, just having highs and feeling good and all of that. Um, it's going to be, it's like when you um, have fast food, because I have a weakness for food. So like if you go through the drive-thru, um, yes, a, a McDonald's Big Mac while you're eating it <laughs> tastes amazing or whatever, <laughs> you're, you inhale it. Mm-hmm. And then after you have this sticky, gross film in your mouth when you realize that it was uh, more chemicals and processing than, than anything else and you, ch- you start to feel gross before the stomach ache. Um, and it's like that kind of feeling, you know, yeah. it's like um, a, lot of, a lot of highs and then a lot of lows. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I don't know, like I, I, you know, okay. So for you, it's, it's, you know, Big Macs for me, it was Taco Bell and, <laughs> right. um, <laughs> and still sometimes is it. And like, and I will firmly stand on the soil of like, you know, when you're on a road trip or, you know, when you're 18 or when, whatever, like sometimes like that is actually like this super necessary oh, yeah. piece of your existence. Absolutely. Not, but like, also like, no, I mean, we all know what happens if you do nothing but live off that. Like, it, it doesn't go well. Right, right. And, and this is why it's okay when we're younger to have codependent relationships and lose yourself in some – yeah. I feel like it's just part of the thing, you know. Um, if you only have healthy relationships, like if you never get to eat Taco Bell if you, or especially growing up um, sugar cereal. I mean, God, I, every meal I used to eat like Lucky Charms and all the bad mm-hmm. stuff, right? Um, that's, that's a part of life. And I think it's meant to be in, in, at that point of your life. But if you're doing that at age, you know, 50, um, it's, it's not going to be sustainable. It's not going to work. So with your own evolution, yeah, with your own evolution comes, you know, different choices and, and all that. So for sure. Yeah. Which I mean, actually leads into the other class I teach in the lab, which is like a rewiring your brain, Mm -hmm. like positive psychology, mindfulness class. And I got into mindfulness super reluctantly, um, kind of with a ton of resistance. I don't want to say kicking and screaming, but it was damn close. Yeah. And um, and then I kind of got into it and, you know, started actually doing it. And I found that I think it is in so many ways, it's like beautiful secret weapon we all have towards like compassionately seeing our own shit and, and the patterns of life, you know, it's like, it is that thing that makes us aware that like, Oh, that, that Big Mac actually doesn't sit well. Mm-hmm. And I've done it now 15 times and I'm going to do it a 16th time, but I've now done it enough times and paid enough attention to know that like, there's this pattern here that keeps emerging and maybe I don't want to live that pattern anymore. Um, How do you practice mindfulness? Because mindfulness, again, that's another, um, you know, uh, wellness buzzword. It uh, is. But there's science behind it, and it's 
super mm-hmm. popular and, and, and people are now discovering the benefits of it. Um, but the practice of it is difficult. I think a lot of people, it's like meditation, you know, we, we, we want to do it, we get it, we're sold and then, but we don't, we never do it. <laughs> so how do, <laughs> how do you practice mindfulness? Um, I think for me, I actually got into it because I started, um, I worked at an elementary school, um, working with a specific population and I was teaching it. And so a lot of what I was doing was sort of like figuring out like, okay, how do you do this in like 30 second increments? How do you translate Mm -hmm. this into something that's not in a monastery somewhere? How do you make this applicable to, you know, four kids literally climbing the walls who cannot sit still and don't care about your damn bell? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, and like those kinds of things. And so for me, it's, I try to incorporate it in everything. Like I try to make sure that at least like two bites of food and anything that I'm eating or drinking um, that I just, I really like pay attention to. Mm. And um, what, what happens when you quote unquote pay attention, when you use all your sensors, uh, sen- senses to anchor yourself, what, what, what happens to the brain? What happens to your state when you are being for, mindful? Yeah. For me, it just, it, it puts my brain in a completely different state. Yeah, because it pulls um, you it, out of your head, right? It pulls you out yeah. of your, your the crazy thinking, cognitive distortions. Uh, you, you go from existing to actually being present in life. Well, yeah, all of a sudden I'm no longer worried about the emails or the, the clients or the kids' mm-hmm. homework or the whatever. It's right. now like just literally noticing the smells and the flavors and the textures and the touch. Um, and I, I'm super fortunate and I live in this like beautiful like mountain and I you know try really hard every morning to make sure that like you know, at some point in time before I sit in front of the computer and like get sucked into all of the things that need doing. Um, but even if I just take 30 seconds, you know, like even if it's so brief to just like look out the window and, you know, and just notice what the trees are doing and notice what the mountains are doing and notice what the sky is doing and notice what the birds are doing and, um, and notice how I'm responding to that. Because, you know, sometimes I'm in a super great mood and I wake up and I'm like, right. everything is awesome. And sometimes I wake up and I, you know, I'm running late and I overslept and I'm pissed and, you know, I had nightmares or whatever and I didn't sleep well and I'm too hot or I'm too cold or my coffee's not right or, you know, like all that normal human shit. Um, and I find that, you know, obviously on those two very different mornings, like what I notice about the trees or the birds or the mountains is very different. Um, and I notice that, you know, and I just kind yeah. of sit with the difference in that. And, and I think so much of it is a practice of, and like being okay with that, but the act of just doing it, um, close so many other things down and put them in to the right perspectives. Yeah. Um, I think in pictures and what I see when, when I uh, think of mindfulness, practicing mindfulness is, um, a broomstick being jammed into a spinning wheel. Like uh, when, when yeah. uh, in the spinning wheel of our crazy brains, our minds, yeah. but uh, when we were a kid, we used to uh, like uh, fuck with other kids, which is very mean by throwing a broomstick uh, into the wheel of a bicycle. And, a, and, <laughs> and then, you know, it stops the bicycle and makes them fall yep. or whatever. And uh, when you are mindful, um, you're kind of doing that. You're stopping your brain and you're getting um, very present. So, uh, one of the things that I use is, and I didn't know this at the time, but now I think it's become such a therapeutic tool is my, my motorcycle. Um, mm. I, I, I ride almost every day and if I'm not present, I'm going to die. And so, yeah. uh, 
I am so like the world is bright when I'm on two wheels. Uh, when there's a gas tank in between my legs, I hear and see. It's almost like I'm in a flow state, uh, and, and my, yeah. my my reaction times are very fast. Um, and it's because I'm being super present. Like I'm not thinking about taxes or you know the emails I need to get to. I'm just looking at the road, feeling the air on my face, and uh, and also it's a you know there's adrenaline pumping in my blood, and so it's really become a practice of mine um, using something as simple as a motorcycle to uh, be more mindful, to, to rewire myself in that way. And I think that's so awesome because I do, I mean, I also, you know, sit down quietly and cross like it and, you know, meditate in sort of the traditional way. And I, you know, do sort of traditional mindfulness exercises and things. But I think um, <clears throat> sort of the problem with the way we talk about it is that like, I think it's almost sold as like that's the only way to do it. And I, I think we almost missed right. the point if that's right. the only way we do it because um, I think it was actually Vanessa who um, I heard her say um, everything is meditation. And, it, mm. and it, it was like, yes, like exactly. Like everything has the potential and the power to be like our ability to be tapped in in every moment is there. Yeah, um, It's just whether or not we choose to do so or not. Um, and I find your motorcycle story so interesting. When I lived in California, um, like I used to joke that like my therapy was uh, driving to Solvang mm. um, and back. And I would just like, you know, windows open, music yeah. blasting. Yeah. And it was like, you know, all by myself. And like, that was like how I would sort out my head. And, you know, at the time, you know, it wasn't such um, an industry standard word. And of course, like this industry didn't even really exist in the same way, you know, back in the 90s. Um, but it, it, yeah, there's something that I think is very brain clearing. And I know people who meditate while they're running. And I know, um, you know, I mean, again, it, it's like we taught mindfulness, like <laughs> to second and third graders and kindergartners while they're playing and looking yeah. at bugs and doing normal kids stuff. And I think there's so many ways to incorporate it into our day-to-day lives. And it does make so many of those stories um, shut down. Yeah. You know, and it yeah. does, and it helps us see the chatter for what it is rather than believing the chatter, um, which I think is, is so huge. Um, Jen, what would you say is your superpower? Hmm. And, you know, um, we have more than one, but... Um, Right now, uh, these days, what do you kind of feel I think like is your I would there? say I am really, really good at putting sparkle in pretty much everything. Oh, oh my God. That's amazing. <laughs> I love that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> who, who wouldn't want Jen Reddy in their back pocket? <laughs> um, sparkle. So what does that mean? Um, it means that I'm actually really good at finding the win in all the situations uh, and the silver finding, lighting, seeing the positive. Yeah. yeah. And like how this is going to work out and how this actually serves growth and how, um, this is, um, the beautiful unfolding of life. You know, it, I gotta say that's probably one of the most valuable tools and, and also one of the most attractive uh, qualities in a person, right? If someone has that, because that's something that we have to work at. That doesn't just come naturally in the world that we live in, right? Our, our default is panic. 
uh, fear, uh, taking a black light to everything that is wrong and danger and what could happen. But if you have the ability to sprinkle, um, what did you say? Light sprinkle, sparkle. what? Sp- oh, sparkle, <laughs> sprinkle, sprinkle, sparkle. Um, that is such a valuable tool because that's going to keep you on a, on a higher frequency as you know, life throws shit at you. So that's great. I think great. for me, it's, I mean, personally, it's definitely gotten me through some really dark times and you know, a lot of the, the conversations I run into about it when people are sort of like arguing with me about it, um, because I'm actually not like super fun to hang around with if you're really super depressed and you want to stay that way. Um, or if you want to believe everything's really, really bad all the time, right, like, right. I, I'm actually really grating. Um, and I'm, I'm aware of that. I, I know when to leave the room. Um, well, you also don't want to be taken hostage. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and there is this like power struggle over it. It's like, no, nah, it's not worth it. Um, but I found that like, no, of all of the voices in my head that have ever shown up as true versus which ones shown up as lies is the ones that consistently tell me everything is horrible and off the rails and, mm, yeah. um, you know, and the stressful things need to be focused on incessantly until, you know, I'm run ragged. Like those things have, have always been lies. Yeah. Um, and the things that always whispered in my ear that it's going to be okay. And that this works out too. And just fill out a little and like, enjoy the day. And like those things, um, we're always right. Yeah. I love that. What a great reminder to end with. And it's also something I struggle with a lot. I just default to negative and the sky is falling and nothing's ever going to good's going to happen, like all that stuff. Um, and that's a residue from, you know, the, with my twenties and thirties, um, when I used to be miserable, um, Jen, where can we find you besides in the lab? Um, probably the easiest way to find me is on my website, which is transformationcoaching.life. Awesome. Well, thank you for this conversation. Thank you. And guys, check out Jen in the lab and you can meet her live. All the classes are live and uh, she's, she's amazing. Um, and, and grab some of that sparkle that she's giving away. <laughs> it's priceless. Thank you, John. Yep, you're welcome. Listen, if you are great at helping other people and you have a passion for that and you want to find personal freedom and level up the skills you already have, it's time to become a life coach. Journey coaching. When I became a coach, there was nothing like this out there. And so I developed this coaching training program alongside Noel Cordo, Journey Coaching. That's J-R-N-I. And it is amazing. It's 100% live. It's everything that I wish I had when I was starting out. Meaningful, evidence-based education, real people, real community, lifetime support, and business development, ICF certified. Just go to theangrytherapist.com, my website, and click on Become a Coach and explore the Journey Coaching Intensive. See you in class.